We are uh, in the middle of this uh, series. This is the second week on the book of James. And um, uh, boy, it, it, is, it is a full book. And I heard something this week that I'd never heard before. Um, so I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Um, that James um, can be looked at as a book of wisdom. So we like to read it as a big letter, right? Because that's how it was written. But if you look at it, it does seem like it flows more like a book of wisdom, like there's just little snippets of wisdom as you're reading through here. And I think it breaks it up easily for that approach, and I kind of like that a little bit. But uh, So we're going to talk today um, about this, this issue of temptation and what we do with it. And uh, this, is, this is my problem, right? So I'm a big Nacho Libre fan, and this explains my life right here. That's, that's me. Like I, I, yeah, I want a hot body, but I also want tacos. And that, so it's like, that's, that's the story of my life. And we have this, this tension in life. I'm gonna, I lost you for the rest of the service, didn't I? We, we have this tension in life that it's like we, we want to please the Lord. We want to live a victorious life. We want to, we want to do life well. But on the other hand, like we battle real enemies. The Bible calls them the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three big enemies. Like we have the culture that we live in, and it, it wars against the life that we're trying to lead. And we have our own flesh and its own desires, like the tacos. And it wars against what we are trying to, to live out for the Lord. And then, and then we have, of course, the devil. And, uh, and his minions that just do what they can to trip us up. And it's a really, it's a real thing. Um, so James addresses that in chapter one here of, uh, of, of this letter that he wrote um, to the Jews that were scattered abroad outside of, of Jerusalem here. And uh, so, so the, the result of, of this letter is he's trying to give a faith-filled response in the face of temptation. So, so what he is saying, and, and, and we're going to read it here as we start in, in verse 12 of James chapter 1. The very first word is blessed or blessed. And the idea is here is saying if you want to be happy, like, like this, is, this is the man that, that lives a fulfilled, happy life. So he says this. Let's read, um, if we would. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. Or if you have your, your electronic uh, device that might have a copy of the Bible on it, I'll also have it up on, here on the screen. So we're just going to read through today's texts first, and then we'll jump from there. So it says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, isn't that sweet? And every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will, he begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit and that we're just a little bit better of his creatures. So we're gonna talk today just a little bit about winning over 
temptation, winning the temptation battle. So, so here's the first thing I want, I want to notice about the scripture text, the references that we read. He uses the word tempt or temptation a lot, but it seems very different. So here's what I want you to know, and, and you pay big money for this. There's, there's temptation, and then there's temptation. Right? You're welcome. Um, so what's, what's really weird, and, and, I don't, and I didn't quite understand this because it talks about, right? So if you endure temptation, you're blessed. And God's going to give you this beautiful crown and rewards and all that kind of stuff. But then he talks about the temptation that we experience. And here's what's odd. It's the same Greek word. It, it, so here's, here's what it is, just in case you're curious like I am. Paresmos is the Greek word that they translated from to give us our English Bible, and they use it. And so I'm thinking, well, they, maybe, maybe they should have translated it test. instead. Like, you know, blessed is the man who endures the test, and maybe that's what your Bible says. And then it talks about temptation that we experience to sin. But it's actually the same exact word. It means an experiment or a trial or a proving. It's a trial of a man's integrity. Similar words but different sources. So here's the difference, right, between what we read at the front end of today's passage and halfway through, the difference between temptation and temptation. It's the same Greek word, but it comes from two different sources, so here's the difference, right? God tests us in order to help us. So it it feels like the same word. In other words, it's still used as temptation in Scripture, But God is not able to be tempted, nor can he tempt any man. We read it right there. But then it says, blessed is the man who endures temptation, right? And so God, when God tests us, it's to help us. On the other hand, when Satan tempts us, he does it to hurt us. And so even though it's the same Greek word, it has two different sources, and two different purposes behind this, because Satan wants to destroy everything that God loves. And God wants to help conform you to the image of his son. So when God allows testing in your life, it's to take off some of the rough edges. It's trying to, it's trying to take off what doesn't look like Jesus. But when Satan comes at us with his temptations, it's to hurt us. So as we read the scripture here, we found this really interesting process that we're going to go back and read in just a second. But I wanted to mention this whole idea of temptation. That is that temptation happens when our desire meets opportunity. I want an ice cream cone. So I happen to drive down South Street. And for the record, today's flavor of the day is blueberry cream. Yes, I know that. Don't judge me. I'm just saying, and now half of you are going to go to Spelunkers afterwards and get their blueberry cream frozen custard. But when temptation meets opportunity, uh, when, when desire meets opportunity, you have temptation. You already have a desire. You already have that proclivity. <laughs> Great word. You already have the capacity to do this, you already have the desire. So, so in light of that, I'd like to go back and read uh, just to you. You don't, you don't, I don't think we're going to have it on the screen, but, but verses 14 and 15 say this, but every man is tempted, right? When? When he is drawn away of his own lusts. 
and enticed. So the temptation happens when there's two ingredients, your own lusts and an opportunity. And then here's the result. Then when lust has conceived, isn't it interesting that they use a, uh, an analogy of pregnancy? So it takes a little while here. When, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And then sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. I used to have a professor in college, Dr. Earnhardt. He would read this and he would say, but who can say when sin is finished? How deep is that, right? So we, we, have, this, we have this desire that may not be God-honoring, and Satan knows that, and our flesh wants it, and it's available to us, and when, when desire meets opportunity, we have temptation. Now, you still haven't sinned, right? You still have not sinned just because you're tempted, but too often, we make that step and we sin, and then sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So, so here's what I'm hoping to, to help you with today, maybe to put some tools in your hand. Like when you reach that moment, and I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what your, your temptation is. I don't know what your desire is. Maybe it's overeating. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's dishonesty, maybe it's anger, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's laziness. I don't know what your thing is that you struggle with. All I'm saying is that, because you got it in your mind right now, whatever that is, whatever that thing is that you struggle with so consistently in your life, you have that tendency that there, there's the desire to do that, to be that, to react that way, all right? You've not sinned yet. You, just because you have the desire doesn't mean you're sinning. You have the desire, and then an opportunity comes along. What do you do in that moment? Let me give you a few things here, a few action steps to help you in that moment before the sin happens. The first thing is look straight. Look straight. So, so, so here's, here's the truth. It's not the look that gets you, it's the second look. Right? I don't think you sin the first, like, like you, you see something, that's not the sin. I think when you, <laughs> when you pause and look a second time, now we stumbled, right? Look straight. James says that the temptation begins when where he used the word drawn away. I love that so much. Every man is tempted, it says, when, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Drawn away is such a strong word. It has the idea of putting out bait. It's luring out of their place of safety. It is a hunting term. So they're actually setting bait outside of the prey's place of safety. And so he puts the bait out and he puts it right there to where he knows it's gonna draw out that animal. And so you are being drawn away. You're being given the opportunity here. But being drawn away begins this journey to death. I love what, what, what Solomon wrote in Proverbs. When, and you picture this like a dad talking to his boy. Because he wrote 
the book of Proverbs, a lot of it, he collected all of these great sayings and all this incredible wisdom to pass down to his son. And he passed, and here's so you, you see Solomon, right? He's, he's talking to his boy, and he says this in, in Proverbs 4, verses 25 through 27. Let your eyes look straight on. It has the idea of just fixing your gaze. And let your eyelids lids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let your ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove your foot from evil. He's lying, listen, he's like, listen, boy. And what's interesting, if you read up a little bit before we get here, it has the idea of sexual sin. And he uses the illustration of a harlot, right? And he's saying, just watch your eyes. Like, just let your eyes look straight on. Don't look at the spelunker sign. You don't need to know what the flavor of the day is, right? Most of the time, it's not that first look. It's the second look that gets you. As Barney, Barney Fife would say, right? Nip it. Nip it in the bud. See, that's the stuff you're going to remember. You don't care about the Bible. You're going you're to remember that stuff right there, right? So what I'm saying is like nip it in the bud. Like don't even allow yourself to take a second look. Look straight ahead. So, so the first action step is to look straight. Second action step is this. Run from. Run from. I'm trying to keep it simple. Run from. It's very clear in Scripture that there are moments in your life where it's not time to stand and fight. There are moments in your life where it's not a good idea to stick around. You just need to get out of Dodge. And you need to be able to recognize that. Sometimes it's best just to get out of a bad situation. When, with some temptations, that's just the best answer. I mean, you probably can't handle it, is what I'm saying. And so just get out. Sin is dangerous. It's going to hurt relationships. It's going to damage reputations, especially with sins of the flesh. Paul tells Timothy, who was a pastor, and his son in the faith, he told him in 2 Timothy 2.22, he said, flee from youthful passions. What does that word flee mean? It means run away. Like right now, drop what you have and go. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What's really interesting here, and it takes us into our next point. So he didn't just tell him to run away. He also told him to pursue something. So it's not enough to run away. So not, not, not only run from, but run toward. Run toward and there's a couple things here, and I didn't even give you all these, but, but, but you need to run toward the Lord, right? Run toward God. It's not enough to run away. We need to run toward something. James chapter 4, verses 7, and the first part of verse 8 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Depart, uh, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Run toward God. Run toward God's word. That's how Jesus defeated Satan, right? Jesus was hungry, been in the wilderness for 40 days, hadn't eaten anything. Satan takes the opportunity to, to, to tempt him, gives him three major temptations that tempted different aspects of Jesus' life. And every time Jesus responded to him, he responded to him with the words of God. Scripture, 
He kept saying, as it is written, as it is written, as, run to God and run to God's word and run towards what we know to be truth. Like run to truth. Think on these things, Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. What things, Eric? Those that are true, those that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Those are the things that we're supposed to be thinking about. Win the battle of the mind, run away, and run towards what you know to be truth. Here's, here's what I'm saying. Have a plan. Like, come on, folks. We know what we're dealing with. We know what our tendencies are. We know what our desires are. We know what we have a problem with. We know what we continually get tripped over. So why don't we just get a step or two ahead of it and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make sure that, that this is my escape route. I'm going to be smart about this. I'm going to think ahead. Or do we just enjoy it too much? Are we not as concerned as we should be about living a holy life? I'm trying to give you some tools here, like, like run away, but run to something. Have a plan. Fourthly, stand with. Stand with somebody else. Listen, we need each other. We tend to hide our faults from one another. But the truth of the matter is, we were never designed to live alone. We were made for community. I don't know if it's just like a Western culture thing. I don't know if it's where we came from in Christianity to where you couldn't let anybody know that you had struggles. I don't know if it's the fact that we are afraid of anybody knowing our weakness. Maybe it's just pride. The thought of somebody else knowing that I struggle with that would be embarrassing. But we are not made, we were not designed to go through life alone. And I don't think that you need to share your deepest, darkest problems with Facebook. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't think you should share much on Facebook, personally. But it's like, I think that, that there needs to be somebody or a few somebodies in your life that can help you. Like, don't you have somebody that you trust with your life. Like, I believe this person wants absolutely the best for me. And I need them in my life because I'm struggling here. I'm struggling here, whether it is, whether, whether it is the, the world, the flesh, or the devil. Like, I'm struggling in this particular area of my life. I need you to hold me accountable. Or I just need somebody to, to pray with me. Or I need someone just to, to share this with me. We should be standing with somebody else. I love Galatians so much. The sixth chapter, Paul addresses something similar to this. He said this, he said, he said, brethren, when a man is overtaken in a fault, right? That word overtaken means it just, it's just come on him. There's a suddenness to it. There's like a, like he, almost like he didn't expect it. Brethren, when a man is overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, I love this, restore such an one. I love that word restore. It has the idea of, 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 of um, uh, healing, like putting a cast on a broken bone or bandaging a wound. You which are spiritual, restore such an one, how? In the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself, lest thou also 
be tempted. And then he goes on to say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Who's, who's, who's helping you bear your burden? Like, who do you have? Who is in your life right now that you are standing with? Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's almost like this assumption that that's what this thing is all about. That's what Christianity is all about, is fulfilling our role in relationship with each other is fulfilling the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You know what Paul's saying? We all got stuff. (laughs) Ain't no one got it all together. Your pastor included. None of us have it all together. And so humble yourself. Get someone in your life that can help you stand up to temptation. And then finally, speak out. Speak out. Get out of your own head. Am I the only one that wakes up at dark 30 thinking about just crap? Like I can't get it out of my head. And it's always so much worse when it's dark out, isn't it? And if that's not you, God bless you. I would love that. But I'm not kidding you. Like I get up and I'll just start thinking about something. And and it gets worse the longer I lie there. And it just, and I got to get up. And I got to start doing something. And then I look back on it like, you know, three or four hours later and be like, what? I got up over that? Sometimes you just got to get out of your own head. And sometimes speaking it, sometimes getting it out is so beneficial. I love what, what uh, what, what John recorded from what Jesus said in chapter eight. He said this, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. I love the word disciples. It means a learner. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, we love that verse, right? But I, on purpose, included chapter, uh, verse 31. Because it's not, we think, well, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we love that, because then we get to decide what truth is. But I love the qualifier before that, where he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciple. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Satan only has one way to tempt you, and that is he's going to lie. He's never changed tactics. He has one tool in his toolbox. It comes in all different shapes and sizes, and it looks different, and your tool may look a little different than my tool, but it's all the same tool. It's called a lie. He is a liar. And every time you are tempted, it's because you are being told a lie. And in all of his lies, they are twofold, and that is this, that God is bad and sin is better. Now you think about this, and I'm not trying to get too deep here, but you apply that to any sin you struggle with. God is bad, sin is better. So Eve, what'd God say about this apple right here? Oh, well, he said that we can't eat it. We, you know, 
I can't have that fruit. That's the forbidden fruit. We can, eat, we can eat all the other fruit in the garden. I just can't have that one fruit. Oh, is that what he said? Well, why do you think he said that? He said that because he knows if you eat it, then you're going to be like him and you're going to know everything. He's lying. He's saying God doesn't want what's best for you. God's bad. And so sinning is going to make for a much better life. And here's the thing, right? He was, he was almost telling the truth, that, that they would know more. They would know what sin is. They would know what death feels like. They would know that. And he doesn't change tactics when he was, when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. He even quoted scripture to Jesus. He lies, and when he lies, he's going to tell you that God is bad and sin is better but it's a lie. He's going to convince you that getting angry is better than seeking peace because you're right. And you can fix everybody else with your anger. How's that working for you? He's going to tell you that telling a lie is going to keep you from being embarrassed. And so you're just going to cover, rather than telling the truth. Uh, then you've got to lie about something else to cover up the lie that you told before. And the next thing you know, you're really embarrassed. Because now you just didn't do something stupid. You're a liar. He's going to tell you that that pill or that drink is going to make everything better. And it just doesn't. And you know that. He's going to tell you that that website, clicking on that, is better than what God's plan for your relationships are with your wife or your husband. He's going to convince you that that taco is better than your hot body. He's lying to you. He's lying to you. So speak the truth. Know what the truth is. He is a liar. That's all he knows how to do. It's the only trick he has. It's the only card he knows how to play. And he hates you. So here we are. At the moment of temptation. We, uh, we have a desire. And we have an opportunity. And so here's the, all right, now what? Now what? All right, look straight ahead. Run away. Run towards. Stand with somebody. And speak out. Speak the truth. Know what God says about you. And here's the, here's the deal, right? The Holy Spirit that lives inside of every believer can empower you to live a victorious life. And it, it changes the life that you live. It changes your relationships. It changes your demeanor. I love this. It makes you salty. Right? We're supposed to be the salt of this earth. If we live like everybody else lives and we do what everybody else does, there's no difference between you and the people who you do life with. We should be trying not to sin. We should be not watching what everybody else is watching. We should be careful with what we say. We should not enter into the same talk that everybody else is talking. There should, we should love our spouses, and it should be evident to everybody else. There should be a difference that Jesus is making in your life. And that difference is what makes us salty. And that is what is attractive. That's what's noticeable. 
And God puts people in your life every single day that we are called to reach. Might be your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. We have people around us that are, interact with us every single week. And the life that you live and how you respond to difficulties is an important part of the influence that you have on those who look to you without even knowing it. Your world. You may not be able to change the whole world, but you can change your world. You might not be able to reach everybody, but you can reach somebody. And the life that you live is having an impact on the kids that are around you. Your children are noticing. Your coworkers are noticing. Your neighbors notice. And there should be a difference. There should be a saltiness, a light. That's why we're here. This isn't just about self-help. This isn't just about making you a, a stronger Christian. It's not just so that you can feel more victorious. This is about reaching people. This is why we're here. This is what we do. God enjoys our company. And God wants to make us who we are supposed to be becoming. But he's also put people in our lives that we're supposed to influence and reach for Jesus. That's why this is important. That's why we do this. Learn how to handle temptation. Because you're being drawn away. I know it. Because I am. So here's a few action items for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your incredible gift of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Thank you for the truth that you've given to us in your word. Thank you for everything that you have given to us to help us to resist, to stand firm, to live well. And help us, I pray, to become who you want us to be and understand that we can say no to sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.